Dan is going to bring part 10 of our 24-part series in the book of Romans this morning. So, brother, love you. Thank you so much for uh, being here and being a part of our family and looking forward uh, to what how God uses you this thank, morning. Thank Thanks, you, brother. Ross. Thank you, Ross. Thank you to the elders uh, for this opportunity. <clears throat> Would you pray with me, please? And by the way, forgive this. Anybody else have allergies? Yeah, goodness. We'll try to work through it. Pray for me, please. All right, let's pray. Daddy, you are awesome. Your goodness knows no bounds, and your love reaches us in all places. Father, we ask that you're, by your spirit that you would be present here, that the, just a mere man speaks, Lord, that you, you would be heard, and that lives would be transformed for the glory of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you know that there are things that go together. Can you think of some things that always go together? Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. Anybody else? Bread and butter. When my kids were little, my two teenage daughters are over there. When my kids were really little, they used to wear these super cute little T-shirts with pictures on them. And they said things like, hamburger loves French fries, right? Milk loves cookies, you know, the little hearts and everything. Like, just some things go together. But there are also some things that don't go together. I was talking to somebody recently, and I can't remember who it was, and I can't remember exactly the combination of what was on this sandwich, but it was something like a mayonnaise and peanut butter sandwich. Yeah, nasty, right? Or maybe it was a mayonnaise and banana sandwich. Like, that doesn't go together. I don't know if they were pregnant. Uh, There's a word that I love. It's incongruous. Do you know what incongruous means? It just means things don't go together. There's an incongruity. Things just don't go together. Uh, Another thing that doesn't go together, as Ross said, my family and I relocated here a year ago, and we moved here from Richmond, Virginia. I had a friend there whose wife, Barbara, would always rail about something that didn't go together. And the something was men past their prime, invisibly so, who chose to take up bicycling. And that's the key piece. It's not so much that she was opposed to men exercising. She was exposed. She was exposed. She, she was opposed. Sorry about that. She, do I need to finish it? She was opposed to what they were wearing while they were exercising. I brought, I brought one other thing that's a prop. Uh, for things that don't go together. And the folks in the back aren't, no, it's not spandex. Folks in the back are not going to be able to see this, but this is a belt. It's a white belt. And it has, can you see it? It has mustaches on it. And my wife's going to be super embarrassed right now. It has mustaches on it. There's a Fu Manchu. There's a bow tie. There's a handlebar mustache. And my wife and my younger daughter gave this to me as a gift. I have to tell you, no, I have to tell you, me and this belt, incongruous. Like, we don't go together. I will never wear this belt, right? You can borrow, you can have it if you want. I say all that by way of intro, because today we're going to be talking about two things that don't go together. Good news and bad behavior. Over the last, I guess, nine, ten weeks... Ross has been preaching through the book of Romans, and the sermon series is titled, Good News. 
And so we've gone through, just to recap where we've been, we've gone through Acts chapter 1. And do you remember Acts chapter 1? It was, could be a little uncomfortable, right? Where the apostle Paul, who wrote the, who wrote the did I say Acts? Romans chapter 1, thank you. Through Romans chapter 1, and the apostle Paul is walking us through folks who are unrighteous. And he focuses on things that I think most of us in this room would probably agree. Yeah, that's unrighteous. Deceit, malice, inventor. Wow, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Yeah, we would all agree, right? That's, that's unrighteous. Sexual immorality, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And he's pointing out all these things that are unrighteous. And just when the religious moralist in me sort of rises up and goes, yeah, yeah, go after those guys. The spotlight turns in Romans chapter 2. And there Paul's focus is not on the unrighteous. Do you remember who Paul's focus is on? The self-righteous. The self-righteous. The religious moralist who says, man, I grew up in church. I grew up in this church. I've heard the word all my life. My parents said prayers with me before I went to bed. And Paul, in a very uncomfortable way, says, you who know the law, you who say you know the law, you don't do it. And so then we get to Romans chapter 3, and you can see the diagnosis. Whether it's for the unrighteous or for the self-righteous, the diagnosis is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thankfully, though, beginning in chapter 3, we learn that there's hope. And the hope is, is that though we are, whether unrighteous or self-righteous, we have no standing before God, that God made a way. And that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get God's righteousness. You think how radical that is. That it's not what we do. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. In fact, we are opposed to it before Christ, whether we're in the unrighteous camp or the self-righteous camp. And God says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, that we get God's righteousness. Okay, that's Romans 1 through 4. Then you get to Romans chapter 5, and I don't think I ever appreciated this as well as I do today about what God, what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 5. He starts to brag on God a little bit. And he starts to say, to brag on God, to show how good God is, he talks about how bad we are. Do you remember some of the words God use, Paul uses to describe people before they come to faith in Jesus? Romans 5, 8, For while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us, and that's how God showed his love for us. Or that he calls us ungodly, or that we are enemies of God. And by the way, it's not that God has made himself an enemy to us. What does Paul mean there? Paul means that in our rejection of God outside of Jesus, in our rejection of him, we have made ourselves enemies. We have chosen to disobey. We have chosen our own way. Each of us has gone according to his own way. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. And it it, it sort of builds up to this crescendo of God's goodness that as bad as we are, as bad as we can be, God's grace is greater. 
And about five or six times in Romans chapter 5, Paul describes that we get this free gift, this free gift of righteousness through Christ Jesus. And that that gift is just what I said. It is from grace. It's not that we earn it. It's that God gives it to us. And this, this crescendo at the end of Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And I'm going to ask Alex Rogers if you would please uh, read today's scriptures. Beginning at Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans 5, 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But when sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 6, 1. Or do you know, <clears throat> sorry, or do you not know, brothers, Nope. nope. Sorry, skip to seven. <laughs> Six one. What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Thanks be to God. Paul has been building up to this point in Romans chapter 5, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That, that, that Paul is bragging on him that no matter how big our, sort of if you can picture it, pile of sin, that grace is always greater than our sin. But then when we get to Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul anticipates the question that's going to be asked. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And I think all of us, I hope, would say with Paul, by no means, right? No, that, that, that can't be the way it should work. But the truth is, is that in Paul's time, they were very confused about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't understand it. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 8, that he was proclaiming the gospel, that God in his righteousness did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that through Christ's death and resurrection, that he, in our faith in Jesus, that we get the righteousness of God, not because of what we did, but because of what he did for us. 
And listen, Paul was preaching this in, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 8. He, he says, And why not do evil that good may come, as some slanderously charge us with saying? In other words, people didn't understand the gospel. They thought that what Paul was saying is, Oh, do evil and God will fix it. Do evil and God will love you. Do evil and you are free in Christ. You are no longer under law. You are under grace. And Paul says, no, that's slanderous. In fact, he says something really strong after that. The people who mischaracterized what he was saying, he says of them, their condemnation is just. So there were people who were very confused in Paul's time about the gospel. There were people who were very confused in our time about the gospel, right? When we grow up, what do we say? We teach our kids they can what? I can do it myself. You can do it yourself. You can do it yourself. And sure enough, then when we get to salvation, we can do it ourselves. We can work super hard. We can earn this righteousness with God, this right standing with God. The the same thing that was happening in Paul's time happens in our time, that people don't understand the gospel. I've been doing men's ministry for many years, and I'm always amazed that when I just quote the Apostle Paul in some of the things he says, things like, walk ye therefore in a manner worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, a phrase he says at least three times, using maybe not those exact words, that he says about three times, people always say, oh, that's legalism. You're telling me to follow the law. No, 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 no. Remember the buildup? It's God's grace. It's a free gift. You didn't earn it. That's not what, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what we're going to say this morning. Or, or people also say, well, oh, you're confused. You're confused. You're talking about a salvation by works, not by grace, if you want me to actually do something after I receive Jesus. We are confused about the call of God. And Paul addresses that confusion in three ways. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in, in the, about the first half of Romans chapter 6. First, we're going to talk through, Paul is going to explain to us that we need to understand the magnitude of what God has done for us in Jesus, which requires us to understand the gravity of our sin. And second, he's calling us to think differently. Now that if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, that we are called to think differently. And finally, then, and I think sequence matters, then we are called to walk it out, to live differently. Does that make sense? All right, so Romans chapter 6. He asked the question, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he goes into this conversation about baptism. And you're like, what? What's he talking about baptism? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been, been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What's Paul saying? Why is Paul talking about baptism in this context? Do you know? uh, Ross gave us the preview for this a couple of weeks ago. Because baptism is a symbol of what God has done for us. Do you follow with that? Do you track with that? That sin is so grave. Remember what I said in in Romans chapter 5, that we were sinners, ungodly, enemies of God, that our sin was so grave that God has to send his son to the grave 
that one had to die for us. And that baptism, symbolically, when we are plunged underneath the water, it is as if we have gone into the tomb with the Lord Jesus once he's crucified. But the good news is that when Jesus is resurrected, that we are united with him. If we have placed our faith and trust in him, we are united with him. The Bible, the Bible says to walk in newness of life. That's what it says. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you hear that first word? If. If we have been united with him in a death like his. Have you been united with him in a death like his? I can tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, Didn't grow up in church believed that uh, once I got married and cleaned up my act a little bit, that, that I would be righteous, like, like God would want me in the draft. You, you know what I'm saying? I might not be a first rounder. I might not be a second rounder. But third round, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm squeaking in, right? And so that was the way that I just thought, that it's my, like, I earn my way to God. If there is a God, and by, by the way, I went through this transformation of there is no God. Okay, there's a God. Okay, there's a God of the Bible. And I started going to church all the time, and we went to a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, and I heard regularly, Jesus came to save sinners. And I thought, oh, that's awesome. Man, I know so many of them. Go, go get them, Lord. Go get them. Until I have that moment where God says, no, Dan, it's you. You're Me, Dan, the sinner. And I had to come to that realization that sitting in church, reading my Bible, praying, without ever having united myself with Jesus because I never actually trusted him and him alone for salvation. If you have been united with him in a death like his, then you have been united with him in a resurrection like his. And that's a big if. And if you have not, if you do not have that worked out, please pray to Jesus now. Please pray to him now. Like, I'm not sure I've got this. Pray to him. Pray to him. Because the magnitude of our sin is great. So great that his, that God's son has to die. But the grace is so great that it's there. Just waiting for us to receive it. For all who believed him, who, 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 uh, who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, as we sang earlier, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. And it's just receiving him. So understand, first part that Paul's walking us through with this idea of baptized is understand that our sin is great, but God's love for us and God's sacrifice for us is even greater. Once we get to that point, once we understand that, then Paul says we need to be renewed in our thinking. We have to have this transformation of how we think. Listen to what he says, picking up in verse 6. And think how often, by the way, let me ask you this. How many of you know something to be true, but you don't think like it is? Anybody here drive in Frisco, Texas? All right. What's in Frisco, Texas when you're driving? (laughs) That's one. How about this? If you ever drive on Coit Road right outside here, cops, 
Come on, cops. There are, co- there are more cops in Frisco, Texas on the roads. And we know that. But what do we think when we're driving over the speed limit? There's no cops. But you know there are cops out there. No, 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 there are no cops. There are no cops, right? Do you know how many decades we've been sort of overwhelmed with with news that cigarettes are bad for us? But what do we do? Not me, right? Or, or, uh, and I was just talking to Ginger earlier, like if I stop exercising and I start eating poorly, what's going to happen? I'm going to get fat. I'm going to look like one of those guys who my friend uh, Barbara back in Richmond is like, dude, do not get, do not don the suit and get on the bike, right? But what do I do anyway? I stop exercising. I get busy at work. I'm busy with the family, doing all this stuff. Ooh, that burger and fries. Remember I told you burgers and fries, they just go together. You can't have one without the other. And, and the next thing you know, yeah. We know things to be true. What Paul is calling us, what God is calling us to do is to actually think and consider those things to be true in a way that informs how we live. Listen to what he says, beginning in, in, in Romans 6, verse 6. Think, listen, you're going to hear four different times Paul is going to use language that talks about thinking, about the mind. First one, we know, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we what? Believe. We believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, we know, number 3, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, and here comes the injunction, so you also must consider, number four, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What what is Paul saying there? What Paul is saying there is, what you know to be true, uh, renew your mind so that you actually think accordingly. And he gives some really powerful examples. We know that if we have died with Christ, we've been united with him in his death and united with him in his resurrection, that we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are set free. That's what the Bible says. We are set free from sin. We know that to be true, right? God is all powerful. He's a creator. God, he made everything. But boy, I have this fear. Man, I have this fear. Or I have this identity crisis. Like, is my boss going to give me the promotion that I really want? What do I need to do to impress him? What do I need to, what do I have to accomplish? Or addiction? Or any of these sins that we, that we see from, from Romans chapter 1, sexual immorality, deceit, malice. Or our own pride, the religious moralism from Romans chapter 2. Are any of those things got a stranglehold on you? If you have been united with him in a death like his, you have been resurrected with him in a life like his. And you are set free. We are set free from that. I can tell you my own testimony. I had an anger issue. I had a major league anger issue. And you see my little, my girls, you think they're cute now. You should have seen them when they were little. They were the cutest things you ever laid eyes on. Sorry, girls. 
And dad had an anger issue. And I'm telling you, I prayed like a a madman. And I asked my friends to pray for me to break this. And God broke it. God broke it. I had been set free from sin. My girls will always know there is a God in heaven who loves them because Jesus saved their dad. They will always know that. And so that's what Paul was trying to get us to see, is to consider ourselves set free from sin, that we're not in bondage to it. So you know that to be true. You know God's all-powerful. We know that. But God is saying, consider that now. Consider yourselves alive to God and dead to sin. I want to give you a great example, an illustration of how I've seen this play out. In, in Richmond, I used to be involved in a bunch of drug recovery ministry. And there were guys from the inner city, horrible backgrounds, really bad situations. And one of the guys, his name is Sam. And Sam, uh, he and his brother had a very successful demolition business. Really successful. And his brother would pour the profits back into the business. And Sam would pour the profits into his drug use. And he started smoking crack like crazy. Well, you can see where this is going to go, right? You smoke crack, you smoke crack, you're going to jail. And he did. And Sam goes to jail. And there, like many guys I know, while he's there, he has an encounter with Jesus. And he gets saved. And when he finally gets out of jail, what do you think the first thing is that he did? You know, he went and found himself some crack. And to hear Sam tell it, it's absolutely powerful. And he said this, Dan, I'm, I'm smoking a crack pipe. And then I start thinking, bam. Then I start thinking, no, 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 no. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am now. Jesus died for me. His spirit dwells in me. And you know what he does with the crack pipe? Walks away. Walks away. He considered himself what? Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And so that I'm, I'm, I'm show, giving you that illustration to show, look, I got to tell you, I know a lot of guys who've got a crack addiction. Not many of them are walking away from it. God is all powerful. Okay, so first, we, we talk through understanding the magnitude of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus because of the gravity of our sin. We hear Paul's injunction to actually conform the way we think to what we know to be true. And now it's the third part. So what do we do? What do we do? I meet with a guy regularly for breakfast. And the first time we met after Easter, I was asking him, you know, what did you and your wife do for Easter? Where did you go? You know, the resurrection of our Lord. Awesome day. And he goes, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we went to worship and then we had a brunch. And he said, what I'm struggling with is... uh, Now what? And how many of you can identify with that? All right, I'm saved. Now what? Well, what Paul teaches us here is that we are to walk in newness of life. Do you see that in verse 4? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How do we do that? How do we do that? First, we got to understand where the power to do that comes from. This is not a message that says, get out there and do your best. 
Or as one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, likes to say, get out there and pull up your socks and keep on going because you'll keep pulling them up. You'll keep pulling them up. You're like, nothing's changing. Right. Go back to step one. Understand the magnitude of what Christ has done for you. Change the way we think that God, his grace is more powerful than our sin. And it's more powerful, even more than that, it's more powerful than the bonds that hold us in our sin. And his spirit alive in us gives us the power to walk in newness of love. Did you know that's the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit really has like two jobs. Quicken our hearts so that we come to faith in Jesus. And what else? Conform us into the image of God's son. That's why it says the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control, like his job. That's the fruit of the spirit. When the spirit moves in, those things are guaranteed. They're promised by God. And so God gives us the power to do things. If you know, if you're familiar with the, with the New Testament letter, second Peter, one of my favorite passages, and I'm only going to say the first couple of words of it, but it's second Peter chapter one, verse three, and it begins like this. His meaning God's God's divine power has granted unto us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness, that he makes it possible for us to begin to walk in this newness of life. If you're doing it on your own, it's going to be hard. Go back to step one. But once his spirit is in you, he makes that promise to you. Uh, but, uh, what next? What next? Verse, beginning at verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Make you obey its passions. All right, I've got the Spirit in me. I'm not going to let sin reign in me because of what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. I have His power dwelling in me. And then there's this, this really interesting imagery. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. What is that imagery, the present yourself imagery? Does that make sense to you? Think about it this way. Any Cowboys fans here? Wow. I expected to get more than that. I am not a Cowboys fan, all right? How about this? I see I see we got a Cowboy shirt on. Any Cowboys fans here? Yeah, all right. Any Tony Romo fans here? Both of you. Okay, cool. Boy, Dak, Dak moves in and Tony moves out, right? Was, all right. Tony's not playing football anymore. He's a broadcaster for CBS. Imagine if he shows up to, to work for CBS and he's got his shoulder pads on and his Cowboys jersey. Number nine? Nine? I don't know. His Cowboys jersey. He's got his cleats on. He's got his helmets on and he has his mouthpiece in and he shows up to the broadcast booth. What would you say? Yeah, you'll get Dax some water. No, dude, you have missed it. There has been a dramatic change. (laughs) You are no longer a player. You are under new authority now. Show up and present yourself under that new authority. Let me give you another illustration to this, present yourself. I mentioned working with guys in drug recovery. A friend of mine, Timothy Green, is, uh, and, and you can Google him, it, Timothy Green, Richmond, Virginia. You'll find some awesome stories about this guy. 
uh, drug addict, uh, long criminal record, including a physical assault on a police officer. And he's a friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I got the right friends. Trust me. I got the right friends. And Timothy gets saved when he's in jail. He gives his life to Christ when he's in jail. He gets out of jail, and when he gets out of jail, boy, the, the deck is just really stacked against him. And by the way, lots of guys, this is, for, there's, this is true. He's got, he, he needs to find a job, but he doesn't have a driver's license because his driver's license was taken because he got arrested. He can't get his driver's license back until he pays off his court fines. But he can't pay his court fines because he doesn't have a job because he's been arrested, criminal record, assaulting a cop, and he, has no dri- and he has no car. He has no driver's license. And on top of that, he has child support to pay. And at least in Virginia, it, it, child support is court-ordered. If you don't pay your child support, you know what they do? They throw you back into jail. You can see how this cycle really can play out. So Timothy gets out. He's saved now. Excuse me just a minute. He's placed his faith and trust in Jesus. He gets out, and he knows he has a court hearing coming up. He's going to have to go into the judge and say why it is he has not been able to pay his child support. And he gets, and by the way, this is a stressful time for these guys, right? They're trying, some of these guys are trying really hard to walk it out, but the, it, 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 it's just a tough situation. And he's all stressed out about it. He goes down to the courtroom, and the way it works is there's just a bunch of chairs like this, and the judge just calls the number, boom, whatever your, your docket number is, you come rolling up. Did you pay your child support? No, I didn't. Boom, jail. And Timothy liked to say that the judge was in a jailing mood that day. Yeah, pretty bad, right? Yeah. He shows up, and person after person in front of him is going to jail. And what Timothy noticed is that all of these guys were dressed as if they were presenting themselves to their dealer. Profanity on the shirt. I mean, talk about a snub in the face to the authority of the judge, right? You know, I don't need this. Just dressed like they're ready to go back to jail. Timothy shows up very differently. He presents himself in a way where there's an outward manifestation of the new reality, the transformation of what's inside. He gets a tie, button-down shirt, slacks, probably none of which belong to him. And he walks into the court, and he's got a stack of applications where he'd applied for jobs. Mr. Green, I see here you have not paid your child support. No, Your Honor, I haven't paid my child support, and I'd really like to. But I, don't, I haven't been able to find a job yet. But let me show you, sir, Your Honor. These are all the applications of, of places where I've applied for a job. Timothy presents himself. Do you see what I'm saying? He presents himself, recognizing he is under new authority now. The judge stops the proceedings. And he looks out among the other folks in the room and he says, this is how it's done. When you come into my courtroom, this is how you are to do it. 
You dress like you're going to appear before a judge and you come in with the, with the evidence of some transformation that you have been trying to make a change. The applications. <laughs> Tim's like, thank you, Jesus. You know, I mean, he's, he's just super excited about all of that. And guess what? Did you know that the Bible says that God rewards those, rewards those who diligently seek him? About two weeks later, Tim gets a job selling furniture in a large furniture store, furniture, actually a bunch of stores in Richmond. And it turns out he's good at it. Really good at it. And eventually, in just a couple of years, he gets promoted to store manager. And listen to what he does more than that. He starts reaching back into the community where other guys with him who have gone through the same transformation he's gone through, and he's finding jobs for them, bringing them into the furniture store. By the way, the guy Sam I mentioned, who stopped smoking the crack pipe, goes back with his brother in the demolition business. Wild success. You want to know what he starts to do? Reaches back, hiring guys. Tough work? Yeah. Pay well? No. Come on. And trying to bring guys forward. Do you see the outward manifestation of the reality, the transformation that's happened inside for these guys? This is not a message that says, come to church next week wearing a blazer or a tie. This is a message that says, walk ye therefore in a manner worthy of the calling of Jesus. Look at what he's done for us. I want to close with this. I don't know what God's call is for anybody in this room. I don't. I don't know what it means for any of you individually to walk in newness of life, empowered by the Spirit of God. But God does. And I want to read for you from Colossians chapter 3. And if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, I'm going to read something that's going to be a little long. And again, I apologize for this nasally allergy voice. But I want you to listen through the three things we talked about, the magnitude of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Change the way we think to match it with what we know. And then third, to walk it out. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then, remember that if? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, change how we think. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Paul's going to start to walk through the things that we put away and then he's going to get to what we put on. Put to death, therefore, remember that death? that God has called us to die with him in order to be raised by him. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, but now, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then verse 12, what are you going to put on? Does he say start obeying the law? 
Wear the tie? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, how can we do anything but be in awe of who you are and what you have done for us? That you have made the blind to see, that you have made the wretched righteous, and you have made the dead alive. And I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would be at work in us so powerfully that we would just apprehend that in a deeper, more more fruitful way. And by your spirit, that you would transform the way we think and in transforming, transforming the way we think and renewing our minds, that we would walk in this newness of life empowered by your spirit. Lord Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Transform us that your kingdom might be extended. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.